0: Welcome to the Head to Heal podcast where you'll go head over heels learning about how the body and the brain work together to either feed disease or fight it. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist and founder of the Mindful Clinic. With a background in nutrition, behavioral neuropsychology and hypnosis, I'm going to walk you through the root cause of your symptoms and disordered behaviors. The body has an innate ability to heal. No one is destined for illness and most if not all disorders can be reversed. Come with me as we develop a new understanding of how you can use your head to heal and truly thrive. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Head to Heal podcast. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist, hypnotherapist, and founder of the Mindful Clinic. I want to preface this episode and all future episodes by saying that I am not a medical doctor and you should always seek help from a physician before beginning any new health regime. Okay, guys, I'm very excited to dive into this topic because this topic I've actually been kind of ruminating on for a little while, and it's just been coming up a lot in my practice. So I think it'll really benefit you, especially as we head into this holiday season where I know, you know, January, 2023 is coming up. We're all thinking about new year's resolutions, and I really want to help you guys understand how to get to the root of where your self-sabotage is coming from. So when we talk about, and by this point, you guys may have already listened to the podcast episode I did with Dr. Taggy on soul wounds. I really hope you did because it's a fucking good one. But anyways, when we talk about like any type of sabotaging behaviors, most of the time it's really the body reacting out of fear, right? And so that fear can facilitate or provoke some of these like unhealthy behaviors, unhealthy coping mechanisms, overconsumption behaviors, because there's scarcity, et cetera. And so the thing that I really want to like kind of hammer home today and want to help you guys understand is some of the roots to these compulsion behaviors. And that's really just rooted in scarcity. And so today we're really going to talk about the difference between an abundance and scarcity mindset and how your relationship to food is very, very similar to your relationship to money. And as I've began to heal my relationship with money, pretty much ever since I really opened the Mindful Clinic, my relationship to food has also gotten a lot better. And there's many reasons and many ways that money and food are connected. Obviously, as you guys I'm sure can understand from a very basic like perspective, if we think about like Maslow's triangle, you know, all basic needs are at the bottom of the triangle and they all have to be met before we can start to self-actualize, right? And so money and eating both kind of live in that basic need Portion, especially because money is the thing that gives us access to our survival needs. So, we are going to dive in today. I'm very excited. And if this podcast is popular or sparks some interest, I will probably have a money expert come in. She is my money guru. She's definitely helped me heal my relationship to money. And trust me, guys, I did have a very, very difficult relationship to money. And I'm still constantly working on it, right? Like, you're always just a work in progress. So, anyways. Honestly, the same mindset techniques can generalize from one area to the next. So when we talk about, you know, abundance versus scarcity, that can really generalize to all areas of your life, not just money and food. And to navigate this like entrepreneurial world, I've been really working on my money mindset for quite some time. And my God, has it ever paid off? Like I've just seen, like when people ask me, oh, I have all the time co-op students coming and wanting to get their hours working in, at the Mindful Clinic and it's lovely, I love having them. And a lot of them ask, you know, like, how are you able to be successful? And I remember graduating from the Institute of Holistic Nutrition in like 2016. And I remember being like, great, I have zero entrepreneurial skills. I have zero presence on any social media. And I also didn't really enjoy being on social media at that point. And so I was like, how the hell am I gonna be successful? Like, I thought, I really thought, okay, you become a nutritionist, and then, like, you get hired and you go, you work in a hospital, whatever. I was very, very lucky to get hired right out of school to work with a medical doctor because that's actually pretty unheard of. Most of the time, medical doctors are going to gravitate more towards dietitians. And that makes sense because dietitians are also government regulated and covered. And so poor Dr. Abraham had to actually like pay me right out of pocket. There was no government subsidizing for me. And it was a wonderful experience. So I was very lucky. But at the end of the day, you're just capped. You're capped at how much money you can make as long as you are working in this like nine to five hustle especially when you are a nutritionist or when you're in any profession that's unregulated, like a coach or whatever you want to call yourself. So this has kind of forced me to really confront my relationship to money and how, you know, some people I have, so many of my close friends are so good with money. Like one of my best friends is a lawyer and my other best friend is an accountant. And so either like, especially my accountant friend is so good with money. Like she always has savings. I was never taught to save. And so I started to kind of dive into, you know, not only did I have this really dysregulated relationship to food, but I also had a very dysregulated relationship to money. And then what the common areas were, because when I started working on my relationship to money, my relationship to food also got a lot better. Okay, so I see many similarities between money mindset and our relationship to food, and this just gets reinforced and validated pretty much with every client that I meet, specifically in a dysregulated relationship to money, so dysregulated money behaviors and dysregulated food behaviors. For example, if you have the desire to overspend, to keep yourself living paycheck to paycheck, believing that you basically have to work really, really hard for money, or that money is scarce, or that you know it just falls through your fingers, and the similarities between the desire to overconsume, believing that you need to punish yourself to be thin, and hyper focusing on controlling everything that goes into your body, as well as being out of touch with your true hunger cues and holding on to excess weight. So, I'm gonna show you how both areas are very connected and how you can actually, by working on healing one of them, we can also work on healing the other. So, a lot of this actually comes down to being able to move from a scarcity to an abundance mindset. So, this might get a little bit woo woo, guys, but honestly, I don't. Even care because, like, this is my life and it has legitimately worked. It's literally brought my business. Like, I think the most I made in my own business prior to like really working on my money mindset was like eight grand for the whole year. And now, like, the mindful clinic makes like 30K months, right? I may have learned a few more tools, you know, along the way, but most of my success is actually coming from money mindset. So, My skill set hasn't changed. Neither has my work ethic. And the thing that's actually made the biggest impact is really kind of dissecting and unpacking my relationship to money and where it all started and understanding my limiting beliefs about money and why they're there. And then also challenging those things. And so in the same way that I do this with my clients and their relationship to food, the ideas they have about food, nutrition, some of the limiting beliefs they have about themselves and weight, we're actually going to do that with money as well. So In order for you guys to understand this, I need to tell you a little bit about my money story, if you will. Uh, So I grew up in a household where money was fought about every single month, right? Like my parents would scream all the time and fight about money multiple times a day. My dad was also an entrepreneur and he worked his fucking ass off. Like my dad was a mechanic and he still, even though he's retired, he still does not spend a single day just doing nothing. Like for a while, it was actually pretty hilarious, but also kind of scary because I would come home and like he would just be knocking down walls for no reason. And my mom's like, it's OK. It keeps him busy. So cute. But anyways, my dad was an entrepreneur. He had no idea how to be a good businessman. My dad is one of the most generous and kind people you're ever going to meet. And so most of the time he really did things for free or just like at cost. Um, And so when he decided to open up his own shop, things kind of went downhill from there. So he was working with another person, he ran his own mechanic practice, I guess, (laughs) mechanic practice, not sure, not sure about that one. But he had his own mechanic (laughs) business. And he was working with another guy, they were sharing the space, right. And so anyways, that didn't work out. He's like, I'm going to open up my own shop. So he did. And then within a few years, for a while, it was really paycheck to paycheck. There was a lot of scarcity in my household. And then within a few years, he actually got very sick and we had to kind of shut the whole thing down. But him being able to like open up his own business really led to having a lot more expenses. So in a household where we were already living kind of paycheck to paycheck, and there was so much like scarcity and like anxiety around money, this just really exasperated things, right? So we were just barely coming clean each month. And I definitely get my work ethic from my dad. Like both my parents are very hardworking in their own ways, but my dad is an exceptional being. Like if you know me and you know my dad, there's just like nothing that compares. He does not stop. And if you know me, like, and you can just imagine why I am the way that I am, like picture me, but then like on steroids, that's my father. So he works his ass off for very, very little payoff just to keep food on the table and to feed my mother's, like truly my mother's shopping and cooking addiction. And so another thing I learned from my dad was that you had to work really hard to make money, right? Like if you weren't killing yourself with work, you were not doing it right. And this taught me from a very young age to tie my worth to my work. And I've been stuck in the masculine ever since. I'm really working on it with Dr. Taggy, thank you, to get back in my feminine and be able to receive and not have to like kill myself. But at the end of the day, like that, what he really modeled to me was that if you aren't working your ass off, then you aren't going to make enough money. And this is very, very similar in the way that we think about weight loss, right? Like if we aren't punishing ourselves, we aren't fucking cutting calories and overexercising at the gym, it's not working. So there's already kind of like a similarity that we can draw there. But it goes deeper. (laughs) My dad is also one of the most generous people I've ever met. So like I said, he would often give people deals. He pretty much worked for free. And then we always had to suffer at the end of the month, right, when the bills were due. And this just really taught me that I needed to overproduce. I needed to overextend. I needed to reject my own needs to satisfy other people's needs in order to be liked, in order to be accepted right? So this is where my worth is literally valued lower, like literally valued lower than other people. And the interesting thing is like, My parents, so I grew up in Oakville, which is this like little town in Canada. And it's like one of the richest towns in Canada. But I grew up in what I like to call the ghetto of Oakville. My husband's listening and shaking his head because there is no real ghetto in Oakville. But like comparatively to the people who lived on Lakeshore, which is like where all the huge big mansions are, I did not live in that. So my mom used to like iron on Abercrombie signs for me to like fit in or me to feel like I fit in at school. And we, I just didn't have that lifestyle. We just kind of like got lucky and like grew up in Oakville. So in Oakville though, it's a very old population. So it's like old money here. And my parents always had friends who had lots of money. So even in situations where my dad's helping out a friend or fixing a friend's car, the friend might be like a millionaire and my dad is still doing the work for free. And so like, do you see how just by modeling that behavior it's showing, it's proving to me that my value is lower than somebody else's, even if they have the money to pay for it. And so because he had this belief without me and really being fully aware of it. Like subconsciously, we get our money beliefs between the ages of zero to seven. And at seven years old, I'm not consciously aware of this. I'm not like, why is my dad? Like where I'm just like, daddy works so hard and daddy has to work to put food on the table. Like it's not a conscious thing that we're encoding here. It's very subconscious, but that's how we know that it becomes this automatic, like narrative in the background that basically drives your behavior. And so I see this show up in my life all the time, or at least I used to, I'm really working on it. And sometimes in my business, especially when I feel like I'm doing everything I can to support a client or a friend, and it still doesn't feel like enough, like nothing's ever good enough. And that's not really, has nothing to do with the work that I do, right? That has everything to do with how I really feel about myself. And if you've listened to my podcast on people-pleasing and its relationship to overeating, then this will make total sense here where, you know, if we're constantly people-pleasing, if we're doing things for other people, we're trying to manipulate other people's view of ourselves and we do that because we want to be liked. But by doing that, we reject ourselves. We self-reject to satisfy the needs of other people. And if we are constantly rejecting ourselves, then we're going to be disconnected from our true self, which means we're disconnected from our hunger cues, which means we also feel like we need to punish ourselves, and we need a coping mechanism and food is just the easiest and most delicious coping mechanism and so already we have some kind of like interconnections here all right and we go a bit deeper so like i said my parents were not wealthy and like often they would pick up the bill for their entire friend group even though like most of their friends had very good jobs were very well off and i know they couldn't afford it I would hear them, and I would hear my my dad and my mom complain all the time, but then still pick up the bill, right? And, you know, my dad— God bless him. But he gave me everything I asked for. Like there was never, it's not like I grew up like in full poverty. Like we always had food on the table. It's just that money was fought about all the time. And even when they couldn't afford it, my dad would do whatever he could to get me whatever I wanted. But then I would hear them complain about it later. Like I would go to sleep and I would hear them fight about money. And because children are very egocentric, right? They, They believe the entire world revolves around them. As a child, I wasn't really able to understand that at a, from a very conscious level that it wasn't my fault. Right. So I'd hear them argue about money, especially when it had to do with like something I've asked for, like my needs. And this just taught me that like I was an inconvenience and that's pretty heavy for a kid. And like, it's not a conscious awareness of course, but then you grow up and you feel like a continual inconvenience. Like who here is listening to this? And they, they constantly feel like they are an inconvenience to other people. Like when you have a need You don't even want to voice it to somebody else because you never want to inconvenience them. Yet when somebody else has a need, you're like very quick to jump to help them, right? And so this is much deeper than than money or food behaviors. This has everything to do with like your self-worth, your value, what you perceive to be your deservingness on this earth, right? And so from a very conscious perspective, my child self was hearing, we can't afford it. We can't afford the new toy Jordana wants. And then I would often get it and feel shame around wanting it and like hurting my family. Like it's my fault. And subconsciously though, when the primitive brain feels that resources are scarce, resources being money, resources being food, resources being shelter, whatever it is, it hears I'm not going to have access to basic needs, food, water, shelter, sex. I'm going to die. Like, that's what's going on from a subconscious perspective. The primitive part of the brain doesn't understand, like, I just want this Esmeralda Barbie, right? The primitive part of the brain is, like, if if resources are scarce, I'm going to fucking die. I'm not going to have access to food. And so it starts this, like, huge alarm system. And that's where we start to encode this type of, like, money trauma, I like to call it. So this is extremely traumatic for the brain of a child, that that child will often subconsciously create a program that will keep them living in this pattern of believing that resources are scarce to facilitate specific behaviors around hyper fixating on getting access to these like safety things, right? In the case of money or other, or in the case of food. Okay, so what I'm really trying to say here is this is so traumatic for the brain that the child's brain will subconsciously create a program, right? It's like, oh no, we have to remember Remember this because resources are scarce and the brain's number one job is to survive, right? The brain is wired for survival, not success. And so it's going to create a program that's going to keep you living in this pattern, believing that resources are scarce to facilitate and provoke behaviors. So you can hyper fixate. So you can hyper focus on gaining access to these safety basic needs because we want to store it for later in the event that we're already in danger. But the reality is like we were never in danger in the first place, right? There never actually was any scarcity. This is all about perception. Like, like I said, not only did we always have food on the table, we had an abundance of it. Like my mom would cook and not just cook for us, but cook for the entire town, like drop things off. And so the fighting around money, like we still met our bills every month. And like, let's say we did it. My parents have a house that's worth like 1.6, 1.8 million right now. That's the same house I grew up in. So like if worse came to worse, like if push came to shove, like We could have sold the house. We could have taken out a line of credit. But like when the brain is in a scarcity mode, it doesn't see those things. It just feels like everything is scarce and it's like catastrophizing. And we do the same thing with food, okay? So I really also see this pattern a lot in my clients where there's like, where scarcity is related to like money and food. One client in particular said that she has seven siblings, right? So every time that food was on the table, they had to fight for it. Like she literally had to like rush to get the food. And as an adult, even though like she like has a family, you know, she's the one putting food on the table. There's no scarcity around food. And more often than not, it's just her eating with her kids. If she's going out with friends or like food is being shared, she gets like literal rage, like. Literally feelings of rage, anger, and anxiety, and so much anxiety around making sure that she gets her share. Now, this isn't coming from the fact that like, oh my, like she probably ate a couple of hours ago, but the brain is so intelligent, like it doesn't even see that, right? Like it doesn't compartmentalize It's like, oh, we have access to food right now, and so like we better get our share, because it remembers when food was scarce and when she had to fight for food as a child. Even though she's very successful, right? She's very successful, she's CEO, she's a badass bitch even though she's very successful and she always has food in the house, the brain doesn't understand that like food isn't scarce anymore. Because when food is scarce and we encode this as a child, Or when there's like any scarcity mindset around anything, the brain's going to be like, this is trauma, this is related to survival, and it's just going to encode it. And so the real work that you have to do is being able to go into the subconscious and rewire and reprogram the way that the brain thinks about scarcity, the way that the brain thinks about money, food, et cetera. And we want to move from a scarcity to an abundance mindset. There's always more than enough. Truly. And if we can stay in an abundance mindset, if we can buy into the fact that like, oh my gosh, if I get this donut now, I can have a little bit now, I can have a little bit later. I don't have to even finish it, right? Because if I really wanted to, I could get it tomorrow. Like there's an abundance of food. You're never, ever, ever going to be in a situation where you're not going to have access to food ever. Never. Like never. With one fingertip, one touch to your phone, you can literally have whatever you want delivered right to your door right? And so you're never not going to have access to it. So when we can understand that it's not like, I had better eat this all now because starting again on Monday, I'm going to start a diet or like, this is the last time I can have this food, or I'm only going to have access to this now. We can move from that scarcity to abundance mindset and realize that like, oh my gosh, there's an abundance of food around me. You actually give yourself the space that you need to make the decision that you want. That's more in line with your goals. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I've said it in hundreds of podcasts, but If you only have access to water for one hour in the week, like how much water do you think you're going to drink? All of it. It's going to be so much more than you want or so much more than you need in that moment. But if you have like access to water at all times, like you only ever need to drink as much as you need. You know what I mean? Okay, let's bring it back to money. So your relationship to money is directly related to your relationship to food. Some of the things that I heard growing up around money is money doesn't grow on trees. Who the hell hasn't heard that one? Keep your head in your books because because as long as I studied and as long as I was an A plus student, I would get a very good job and that would pay me lots of money. Stop spending your money. I hear that one still all the time. My mom's always like, every time I get a package, we always get it delivered to their house, mistake number one. Every time I get a package, she's like, you're never gonna own a house, oh my God. You're never gonna own a house. That's the next one. I hear this one all the time. There's never enough. Rich people are greedy. You have to work hard to make money. Cancel, clear, delete. And I don't even want to put any of that in the universe. And the list will like literally go on, right? But similarly, here's some things I heard a lot around growing up around food and body image. Stop eating so much. Your food isn't going to run away from your lips and to your hips. Thunder thighs. Such a pretty face. If only you could lose a few pounds. They can have it, but not you. I heard that all the time. My friends would come over. My mom would be like, oh, they can have more, but not you, Jordan. You've had enough. You can't wear that. You have to work hard to stay fit. In our family, we can't have sweets. You're too big for that, et cetera. If you look at the similarities between these lists, what we're really saying here, stop spending, thunder thighs, et cetera, What we're really saying to the individual is like, what does that mean about them, right? You're saying, be careful, be careful about this. You're saying there's something wrong with you. Like, right, danger zone. And the subconscious brain here is I'm gonna die. <laughs> like not to be dramatic, but that's literally what's happening. <laughs> And this feeling of scarcity, like there's never enough, will drive overconsumption or overeating behaviors in the future. Very quickly, from an energetic perspective, both access to food and money sit in the root chakra. And so a lot of my clients who have issues with food also have issues with money. Like most of my clients are like, I'm chronic spenders. And I'm like, great. Like when we work on your relationship to food, we're also going to work on your relationship to spending right? Because where the root chakra, the root chakras are where all of our security lives, right? When we grew up in households where we felt very insecure from like a, like a scarcity mind's like perspective, you know, from like a resources perspective, but also insecure, like in our abilities, insecure in our attractiveness, insecure in our emotional intelligence, whatever. When we grew up in families where we felt any type of insecurity, especially financial insecurity or insecurity in appearance. parent's, it negatively impacts the root chakra where we will be more driven to develop maladaptive behaviors to feel temporarily secure. So this might look like hoarding food, right? Like getting too much food, more access, overeating, over-consuming, constantly thinking and obsessing around food. Like that entire narrative, what am I going to eat next? Have I eaten too much? Have I eaten too much? That's just your brain being like, we want to have access to safety, right? And from a financial perspective, manifesting the life where you want you will feel like you will have to literally work your ass off to barely make ends meet. And that's just not true. Like there are people who are sitting on a beach making millions of dollars, like barely working, right? And if they can do it, why can't you? It all has to do with like what you believe you deserve. And if we can raise that vibration, if we can constantly live in a state of abundance. There is more than enough money. Money is constantly flowing to me. I'm a magnet for money. There's more than enough food. I get to choose if I want this or not. I can have this later. Can I wait until tomorrow morning? I can eat whatever I want in the morning, right? It's a very different mindset than if we're saying like, oh no, I shouldn't eat this right now. I shouldn't eat this because I'm on a diet because Jordana told me not to. I want to lose weight, etc." That's very scarcity. When we do that, we tell the brain, like we're, we're, we're putting our foot down, we're restricting the food and the primitive part of the brain's like, mm, bitch, no. The primitive part of the brain's like, no, no, I'm going to get, I'm going to have over access. The next time I've to that thing, I'm going to over consume. It's the same thing with money. If we're telling ourselves we have to work hard, we have to have a degree, we have to do XYZ, i Z, I'm not like to make all this money, then you're not allowing yourself to just receive. Like if you're doing, you're not receiving, right? And so this is kind of switching from the masculine to the feminine. If you grew up with insecurity, you're also going to manifest situations and experiences in your life that's going to reinforce and validate the inner belief. So this looks like inconsistent partners, right? If you keep attracting the same toxic asshole, like... That's going to make you feel insecure. Like this is because you grew up believing that like you don't deserve anything better, right? Attracting fuck boys, overspending, inability to save money. So this used to be me. Like I learned in my first year of business, I was like, oh, I can make a lot of money. Wow. <laughs> and then I like did my taxes and I'm like, where did it all go? <laughs> you know? And that's just because like, yes, I, I learned I could make money now very easily, but could I now keep it? Can I live in a state of overflow or every time I got it, did I have to spend it? Right. And so then, you know, you work on that aspect, you work on feeling safe, being in a state of overflow, being in a state of abundance. So, and also holding on to the weight to validate the belief that there's something wrong with you. So I see this with my clients all the time where they're literally like their body is manifesting weight. It's like a protective barrier to validate the belief that like, they're not good enough. They're not attractive. They're not lovable. It's like, you know, you have to kind of like love yourself in order to lose the weight or else your body will continually try and protect itself and then it'll hold on to a lot of weight. And then it's like a cyclical cycle. It's a catch 22. Okay. It might be safer and more familiar for you guys to feel insecure about yourself, insecure about your ability to make money, insecure about your body, insecure about your attractiveness than it is to feel confident. And when the brain is more wired for chaos or wired to feel safer in these states of scarcity than it is abundance, you are going to continue to manifest that scarcity, not because you want it, but because the brain is wired for familiarity. It's wired for that safety place. Okay. Lastly, from a behavioral perspective, we can illustrate this through motivating operations. So I probably haven't really talked about motivating operations on this podcast before, but we're going to do it right now. So (laughs) motivating operations are like The thing that motivates behavior. So, you know, we talked about the functions of behavior, right? A sensory, tangible attention and escape. So that's the function of the behavior. Now there are motivating operations that can make somebody more privy to engage in a certain function versus another. So motivating operations are literally of deprivation and satiation. So if we are deprived in an area, it's going to be, we're going to be more motivated to obtain that thing if we have satiation, if there's an over and abundance, we're not going to be very motivated to obtain it because we have more than enough, right? So I hear from clients all the time. I'm not motivated enough. I'm not disciplined. Like when I'm doing a discovery call with somebody, one of the first things they tell me is they're like, oh, I just need to be more disciplined. I just need to be more motivated. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Okay. Are you motivated to sit on the couch? And they're like, well, like that's different. I'm like, well, are you, mot- are you motivated to eat? And they're like, well, yeah, but like, that I need more motivation in other areas. No, no, it has nothing to do with motivation, right? It has everything to do with motivating operations where there's deprivation and where there's satiation, okay? It is not related to motivation or discipline at all. You don't need you don't need any more discipline. You don't need any more motivation to gain access to food. You already have the motivation. It's related to your perception of what is deprivation, what is deprived. If you continually tell yourself, I need to go on a diet starting again on Monday, food is scary, I shouldn't be having this, I shouldn't be having that, oh, like, tomorrow I'm not going to have any sugar. If you continually tell yourself that, you are creating a state of deprivation, right? And so, of course, you're going to be motivated to obtain it because you've just set the stage that this is deprived, you're deprived in this area of this access to food, Right? By saying this, you're literally telling the brain food is going to be scarce and the natural tendency in human behavior is to become more motivated to obtain it. And this is because food is also related to a basic need. This is going to happen subconsciously. It doesn't matter how much you want to be thin. It doesn't matter how much you want to lose weight. The motivating operations are happening in the subconscious. Of course, your body wants to survive. And so if you're like, food's going to be scarce. I'm going to restrict. I shouldn't be eating this X, Y, Z. The subconscious program is going to be to overconsume. It's going to be like blackout eating. You're going to like, you're, you're not even going to realize it. You're going to want one minute you're going to be standing the next minute you're going to be like you finished the whole bag of chips and you just don't even know what happened and that used to be me like i i i, I get you girl there's a way out trust me what you're doing is you're creating an illusion of deprivation and the, and the nervous system is responding and like look how brilliant the nervous system is right even though consciously you're like i don't want to do this nervous system's like nope i'm designed to survive it's brilliant it really is brilliant So, as long as we feel scarcity around survival and basic needs, and that's like resources, like food, water, money, shelter, et cetera, we will continue to reinforce programs in the nervous system to overconsume and validate that it's never enough. Right. And that's where we kind of get into this like weird place where if we're always saying it's never enough, it's never going to be enough. When will it be enough? When you're a millionaire, when you're a billionaire. You always think, I always thought at my next level of income, oh, when I make $100,000, it'll be enough. When I make $200,000, it'll be enough. When I make $300,000, that that will for sure be enough, but it's never going to be enough unless you change your mindset, right? You get to decide there's more than enough. It's on its way to me. I have access to this stuff at all times. And then you have the space to prioritize, if you continue to threaten radical diets and exercise plans, the primitive part of the brain is going to overpower the human consciousness and it's going to drive self-sabotage. You actually will never, ever, ever be in a state where you won't have access to food, guys. Like, never, right? Okay, I mean, maybe you guys, one more example of a recent story that a client told me. So new client of mine. She's lovely. I was, t- she was talking to me cause she went to this like event with her daughter and there was a beaver tail truck. And she was like, I've never in my life passed a beaver tail truck before and not gotten a beaver tail. And she was telling me, okay, for my U S clients, guys, you're <laughs> listening, you have no idea what the heck a, be- a beaver tail is. A beaver tail is this like delicious piece of fried batter. And you can put all these toppings on it. So like Nutella, you can put sugar and cinnamon, like pretty much whatever you can think of. And so she's like, i I never pass a beaver tail truck without getting a beaver tail. And she was like, on my program, we've been working together for about a month now. She was like, for the first time I walked by it and I was like, I don't even want it. Now, as much as I like to think that I'm just magical voodoo lady, and I, people call me that all the time because hypnotherapy is a little bit like magic. The, all I did was train her brain to go from scarcity to an abundance because the reality is if she really wanted to, like if she wanted to the following day, she can get in the car, she can drive to wherever she needs to drive to get a beaver tail. And she knew that. So it wasn't like I have to have it now or never. It wasn't like the last supper. It was like, I actually have access to this at all times. And if I really wanted it to, if I really wanted it, I could get it at any point in time in the day, any day of the week. And so then it gave her the space to really be like, do I need this right now? Is this something I really want right now? And because we've trained her brain so that her taste corresponds to the true needs of her body and not the desire to feed dopamine in the brain, she was able to make that decision. And that's just so exciting for me. Like there's just literally nothing better. But do you see the power of of this like abundance, the scarcity mindset? And The beauty of this, guys, is like you actually all have everything that you need to make this decision. It's a choice. You get to choose glass is half empty or glass is half full. Like it's your choice, right? Okay. Okay. All right, my friends, I will leave you with that. We are heading into the Christmas season, so I might not release a podcast during the week of Christmas, but we will definitely be back in full force for January. If you guys have any questions, I would love to hear them, any feedback. I've been getting lots of feedback from you guys on the podcast so far, and I just, I'm so grateful for it. I also just want to thank you guys so much because the Spotify highlights came out and the Head to Heal podcast is in the top 5% most globally shared, like, what the fuck? I can't even believe it. I'm so grateful for you guys. Honestly, it really just yeah, it makes my whole life. This is an awesome platform for me. The Head Deal Podcast is also in the top 10% most listened to globally. So this is a really big deal for me, guys. Not just for me, but for all of you for my community. Thank you for supporting me, for listening to me constantly. If you guys have any like ideas or anything that you really want to hear about, I'm pretty approachable. So just like message me on Instagram or you can send me an email. And the last thing that I will say is is that private coaching for January is fully booked. And so now we are on a wait list for March. Those spots will fill very quickly. This is the quickest we've ever filled in VIP private coaching. However, we do have my hybrid program that's available. It's a little bit more affordable. It's a four month program. You do get a lot of one-on-one time with me, hypnotherapies included as well. And it's been very successful. So I have a few spots that's already taken there. And I think I have about nine spots left. So if you're interested, just book a discovery call. I'd love to meet you if it's a good fit and I know I can help you, then, oh my gosh, January is going to be quite the the year for you guys in 2023. This is like one of the most empowering transformations you can ever do. So anyways, love you guys so much. I don't hear from you. We don't chat before the new year. I will see you in 2023. Bye.